be in Colossians chapter 1. I'm so easy when it happens, and it happens to all of us. No one is exempt. We are easily distracted. Anybody say amen to that? We get distracted by, well, whatever, fill in the bank. Maybe a pet project of yours, maybe a, a platform, or maybe a, a personal agenda, or social media post, or whatever it is. We, we get so easily distracted, even happens to pastors. There are some pastors that preach a steady diet of politics from the pulpit. One in particular has been preaching that Trump is the president, and he's been preaching that for a year, that Trump is still the president. Until recently, he kind of backtracked a little bit. He changing his tune some, telling his church they need to stop worshiping Trump. They need to stop it. Well, what happened? Well, that platform, that political platform, it's unsustainable. It, it changes. It's been happening since the beginning of time. Uh, Billy Sunday was the Billy Graham before Billy Graham. He was a Billy Graham of the early or late 19th century, early 20th century. He, he was a professional baseball player. He was the first player to run the bases under a particular amount of time. Fastest to ever run the bases up to his time and during his time. Very athletic. And he got saved, gloriously saved, and he became an evangelist in the 20th century. And he had a platform. He preached against card playing and movie going and the roaring 20s. And he preached against alcohol. His platform was preaching for the prohibition of alcohol. He was instrumental in getting the 18th Amendment passed, which prohibited uh, the sale and use of alcohol in the United States. And here's some quotes from some of his sermons. He would say, if there ever was a party, a jubilee in hell, it was when beer was invented. He said, to know what the devil will do, find out what the saloon is doing. Whiskey and beer are all right in their place, but their place is hell. So he would preach against that. Well, what happened is when the 21st Amendment came along and repealed the 18th Amendment, where prohibition was no longer, it came to an end, his platform came to an end. And toward the end of his ministry, his popularity began to wane because he no longer had that platform. What happened? It changed. In 1893, Chicago had the World's Fair in their city. They were celebrating how they had bounced back from the Great Chicago Fire of 1873. And one of the exhibits at the fair in 1893 was the World Parliament of Religions, where all these world religious leaders came together to come up with one world religion. It was called the World Parliament of Religions. D.L. Moody saw this as a great opportunity for evangelism. So he set up different evangelists at different preaching posts all over the city to preach during the, the fair. He even set up a tent, a circus tent, to preach the gospel. And Moody's colleagues and Moody's friends approached him and said, Moody, you have to preach against world parliament of religions. You need to preach against, you need to attack that and preach against that. And Moody refused, and this is what he said. In my preaching, I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to him. End quote. Now, centuries earlier, Paul the Apostle said something very similar to the church at Corinth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. 
I wonder today, are you paying attention? <laughs> now, I know you're paying attention to what's changing. I mean, what's changing? Pronouns are changing, and platforms are changing, and politics are changing, and social media posts are changing. I know your uh, pet projects are changing. I know you're paying attention to what is changing, but I'm asking, are you paying attention to the one who never changes? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you paying attention to Jesus? Well, Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, he draws our attention to the one who never changes. So I'm going to start reading in verse 15. You follow along through verse 20. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, check this out. Verse 15, here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God, may you be honored and praised by the reading, receiving, and response to your word. And God's people said, here's the takeaway. The big idea, the main idea of this particular sermon. I've worded it this way. Paying attention to Jesus is essential. (laughs) There's a lot we pay attention to. You know this and I do too. This is non-essential. But paying attention to Jesus is essential. And so what I want to do, there's a lot here. I mean, we could spend the rest of the year in these verses. But what I'm going to do is try to pull out six reasons here, right out of the text, why why, why paying attention to Jesus is essential. Why is it essential? Reason number one. Somebody say one. Here we go. Jesus is the image of God. I don't know if you understand what it means when Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. He's he's worthy of our attention. (laughs) And he's worth it. You have to understand that Jesus is the one who bled blood for you. He, He was crushed on the cross for you. In fact, in Isaiah, the Bible says it was the Lord's will to crush him. That he was crushed on the cross for you. He did die for you. He was forsaken for you. He gives good gifts to you. He holds hell back for you. He loves to love you. He moves mountains for you. He prays prayers over you. He is preparing a place for you. He is returning to retrieve you. Meanwhile, what what has he done? He sent the Holy Spirit to you. He's unmatched. 
In his mercy, his love, his grace, his kindness, his wisdom, his knowledge. He has no equal and no rival in his salvation and his suffering and his sufficiency and his supremacy and his soon coming. He is worthy of our attention. He is the image of God. I want you to look at this picture. I got a picture I want to show you. And I want you to ask yourself the question. How fast was this ostrich running when it hit this tree and left that image? Must have been running as fast as Roadrunner trying to get away from Wally Coyote. When Jesus walked on planet Earth, when his foot hit this earth and he walked on earth when he was born of of the virgin mary when he walked this earth literally he was the image of god jb phillips said it like this christ is the visible expression of the invisible god that's a powerful statement he is the image of God. Now, he is. That, that's, that's present tense. It's, it means it's a continuous truth. It's never gonna, he's not going to stop being the image of God. He's not hoping one day to be the image of God. He not would be, could be, should be, will be, wishes to be the image of God. He is the image of God. And the word image in the Greek is icon. Somebody say icon. E-I-K-O-N. We get our word I-C-O-N from that word. It means a representation, the form, the appearance, the statue, the imprint. He is the imprint of God himself. Hebrews says he's the exact representation of God himself. Now I know Jesus looked at Philip and said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Think of it like a portrait. The ancient soldiers would send home an icon to their family. What that icon was, was a painted portrait of the soldier. They would send those home. Think of a king who has a ring. And he would make an imprint on the wax of a letter to seal the letter. If you ever got a letter with the king's ring sealed in the wax, that that was just as good as if the king himself was standing in front of you delivering that message. That's what Jesus is. He's the image of God himself. He is the very image of God. Now, I know no one here today has ever seen or worshiping with us online. You've never seen Abraham Lincoln face to face. You never have. But you could pick him out in a crowd. You know exactly what he looks like. How's that possible? Portraits, right? Look on the penny, right? (laughs) You know what he looks like. If you want to know... What God is like, look to Jesus. It doesn't say Buddha is the image of God. Buddha is not the image of God. Joseph Smith is not the image of God. Muhammad is not the image of God. Jesus alone, he is the image of God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Don't look to his followers. Don't look to image bearers of God. Look to the one who is the very image of God. Now, I understand you and I were made in the image of God, right? We're image bearers of God. Every human being bears the image of God. Every human being was created in the image of God. Genesis tells us that. That God said in the beginning, let us, by the way, that us includes Jesus, right? <laughs> let us, Jesus was there. Let us, 
Let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over the creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. We were created in the image of God to represent God. To be his image bearers. We were created to have dominion over the earth. But here's what happened. We traded that dominion in. And rather than ruling over the ancient serpent, the ancient serpent ruled over Adam and Eve. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they sinned. And and that sin is still continuing today. God has made two genders. Somebody say two. Two. Male and female. Not a hundred genders. Two. Yet genders rule the day. We've fallen away into our sin again and again and again. Mankind I'm talking about. The human race I'm talking about. See, we are image bearers of God and we are to obey. We are to represent Him. But we failed. So what did God do? Here's what God did. God did not make Jesus in His image. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus has done what we failed to do and what we cannot do. He's already done it. He was not made. He was not created. He is the image of God Himself. If you want to know what God is like, what your Creator is like, all you have to do is open the Bible and read the Gospels. That's all you have to do. Look to Jesus. But here's our problem. We have these unhealthy self-images of ourselves. Either we have our too lofty image of ourselves or, or too low of a, of a self-image, right? I was reading about a young man working on a construction site and he was flexing and boasting and bragging and about how he could, he could, he had more strength than anybody else on the job site and those old men on the job site couldn't hang with him. He just on and on and on. Well, finally, one old guy got tired of it. One of the older construction workers, he said, listen, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? I bet you a, a week's wage, a whole week's wages that I can haul something in a wheelbarrow over to that building that you won't be able to wheel back. And that young guy said, there's nothing you can wheel over there that I can't wheel back. You're an, you're an old man. You got a deal. So the old man grabbed the wheelbarrow by both handles, looked at the young man, said, get in. <laughs> right? Man, that, that explains us to a T. Far too many of us. And when I say us, I'm, again, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about humanity. The human race. Far too many people. The Bible says many will go down the, the wide road of destruction. Far too many people are going to have to pay the penalty of their own sin because they have this inflated view of their self-image. This young guy on the job site, he had to pay a week's wage because he had an inflated view of himself. All the while, the one who is the very image of God, Christ himself, died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin. It's paid in full. And so here's what Paul says. Second part of verse 15. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, at first sight, when you see firstborn of all creation, you might think, hmm, was Jesus the first to be created? In fact, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach from here. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that the firstborn of all creation means Jesus was the first to be created. But they don't read verse 16. 
What's the very next word say? For by him all things were created. They just rip it out of context. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That means that Jesus is the most important person in his humanity to ever walk this earth. It means he's first in rank. He's first in importance to put on this flesh and walk around. He's more important than anybody or anything. Jesus the Almighty is more important than Aaron Rodgers. Jesus the beginning and the end is more important than Betty White. Jesus the Christ is more important than COVID. Jesus the door is more important than the Delta variant. Jesus the firstborn among uh, from the dead and the firstborn of all creation is more important than your firstborn child. Jesus the Lamb of God is more important than the Democrat donkey or the Republican elephant. Jesus the Holy One is more important than Hollywood. He's more important than anyone or anything. Jesus plus nothing is more important than Disney plus. He is the most important. Why? Because he's the image of God. He makes the invisible God visible. Here's the second reason why we we must pay attention to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is the creator of creation. He was never created. He is the creator. You know, one part of creation, and I mean, you just think about all of creation, from the smallest of things to the to the largest of things. And one part of creation that's a mystery to me is the Allen wrench. You know what an Allen wrench is? Everything you order comes with an Allen wrench. Right? When you get it in your home, every one of them has an Allen wrench. Somewhere. I believe Allen wrenches could repair our, the infrastructure of our whole nation. Right? These little wrenches. And they're so elusive. We've not had anything in our home more than Allen wrenches, yet I, if, if you were at my house right now, I couldn't find one if I wanted to. They just disappear. They're there until you need them, then they're gone. Every, when the Bible says that, that, that for by Him, verse 16, all things were created, that means everything. From Allen wrenches to the 800,000 plus insects in our world today, to every grain of sand on every beach across the world to every star in the sky even the ones we've never seen he has created them all for by him all things were created not with him all things were created as if he was created oh no 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 by him the creator all things were created heaven and earth visible and invisible that means things we can see and things we can't see You know, 95% of the ocean floor is yet to be explored by humanity. 95%. Even more of space is yet to be seen by the human eye. Christ created it all. All of it. He created it all. Visible, invisible. Astronomers talk about, based on what they can see in, in, in the stars, they estimate roughly... The number of stars in the universe is roughly the number of grains of sand on all the world's beaches. That's an astounding thought. And yet Christ created it all. 
And he goes on to say here, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now that's a direct punch. I mean, Paul didn't pull in any punches. That's a direct right hook to the Gnostic false teachers because they're teaching Jesus is the highest of angels. He's a ghost-like phantom. And these thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, those are angels. Those are different levels of angels. And so Paul includes them to let them know, hey, Christ is not the highest of angels. He created every angelic being. He is the creator. In other words, Jesus does not worship with the angels. Jesus is worshiped by the angels. Think about Revelation. John the Revelator receives this revelation. An angel was telling him all about this revelation, and he gets to a point where he's overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do, and he falls at the feet of this angel, and the angel says, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. You worship God. Don't worship me. Christ is the creator of all things. F.F. Bruce said it like this, The highest angel princes like the rest of creation are subject to Christ as the one by whom, through whom, and for whom they were created. So all things created by him. Secondly, they're created through him, it says here. Look at this. Verse number 16. All things were created through him and for him. In other words, nothing was made without Jesus. Nothing was made that has been made. And it was made for him. You were created for Jesus. So if you're not completely living for Jesus, then you're living irrationally. Because you were created for one reason. And that is to live for King Jesus. All things created by him, through him, for him. See, in the beginning, God the creator, Jesus, he made all new things. The Bible says he created them out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. He created, so everything he created, he created all new things in the beginning. Now, at the end, he's going to make all things new. <laughs> See, you and I both know this. Right now, this world's not right. It is not right. But one day, it will be right. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And Christ is going to make every wrong right. Why? How is that possible? Here's how. Look at the first part of verse 17 he is before all things and in him all things hold together he's before all things and in him all things hold together you know physicists are blown away that the atom holds together it shouldn't like charges should not attract they repel and and, and it's hard for them to understand how is this holding together doesn't make any sense scientifically how is it holding together Jesus is holding it together that's how it holds together Think about all that Christ is holding together right now. A change in the rate of the earth's rotation around the sun or the, just the, the smallest tilt on the earth's axis would throw us into a place where life would, be, would disappear. This, this earth would be too hot or too cold to sustain life. Who's holding that in place? Jesus. If the moon were much nearer the earth, huge tides would inundate the continents. Who's holding that in place? Jesus. Think about the, the change in composition of gases in our atmosphere. It would be fatal. It'd be devastating. Who's holding that together? Christ. A change in these protons, these atoms falling apart. It would destroy the universe. Who's holding it together? According to God's word, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
All means all, church, including y'all. So if the Lord Jesus can hold the universe together, don't you imagine he can hold you and your universe together? Don't you think he can? (laughs) Yes, he can. And yes, he is. And yes, he will. He is the creator of creation. Number three, Jesus is the head of the church. Verse number 18, look what it says. And he is the head of the body of the church. Not that he used to be. He is right now. He's the head of the church. Eric Geiger wrote an article recently called How Boredom Destroys. Anybody ever said, I'm bored? Anybody ever bored? Anybody? Nobody's bored. Well, hallelujah. Oh, okay, there's a few. You know, and in this article, Eric Geiger talks about King David. And he talks about how King David, when he was focused on the beauty of Yahweh, that he was never bored. You can read the Psalms and see just his rejoicing. But he also, Geiger also pointed out that when David was not focusing on the beauty of Yahweh, he got bored. And he focused on the beauty of Bathsheba. And what happened? I know we say things like, I'm bored. This is boring. When you say, I'm bored, here's what you're saying. As, as a follower of Christ... If you say, I'm bored, church, this is what you're saying. You're saying, you're not saying you're bored. You're saying, I am boring. Because you are. If you're a follower of Christ and you're bored, then listen. Heads up. You're boring. Jesus is not boring. His church is not boring. If he's the head of the church, his church can't be boring. In fact, Geiger went on to say this. The Lord is not boring. He is infinitely awesome. He went on to say this. He says, boredom is a sin. When you're bored, you're sinning. Well, how is that possible, Pastor? Boredom is a sin because it reveals our hearts are not in awe of Jesus. We should be in awe of Him. He he is the head of the body, the church. I mean, this is an incredible truth. No pope is the head of the church. No priest or pastor is the head of the church. No counselor, board, or elder, or apostle is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. If you're going to have anybody the head of anything, you can't get any higher than Jesus. His name is above every name. He's been exalted to the highest place. That's that's not boring in any sense of the word. And his church is not boring. His church is a body. If he's the head, that communicates a body. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. It's not a business. Does it have business aspects to it? Sure. But it's not a business. It's a body. And it has parts. And it has members. And you're not the head of the church. But as a follower of Christ, you're a part of the church. You're a part of the body. And oh, by the way, Christianity is not a spectator sport. So get off the sidelines and commit to a church and get involved. And serve the church. And love the church. And give to the church. And be the church. And worship and witness as the church. And be at church. Be committed. This isn't a spectator sport. Jesus, the head of the church, he abides with us. He builds us. He protects us. 
He leads us and guides us. He feeds us. He equips us. This is what the head of the body does. He deploys us. This is the reason why we got to pay attention to him. He's the head of the church. Here's the fourth reason we need to pay attention to Jesus. Jesus is the greatest of all time. He's the goat. The Lamb of God is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. John the Baptist, and this is what Jesus said about John. Jesus said that John the Baptist, there was no one greater born of women than John the Baptist. Jesus said that. There is no one greater, Jesus said, born among women than John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist came preaching, I am not the Christ No, I'm not. I'm not worthy to tie the sandals of the Christ. He said, I'm going to decrease, so so he'll increase. John the Baptist came preaching, Behold, that word means pay attention. (laughs) Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The greatest born among women, John the Baptist, understood he was not the greatest of all time. He pointed to the one who is the greatest of all time. And so did Paul. And Paul said it like this in verse number 18. That he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be, you can think of it like this. Here's how you can think of it. I know the word's preeminent, but here's how you can read this. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might take first place somebody say first place yeah not second place first place every area of your life the Lord Jesus should take first place period why because he's the firstborn from the dead what does that mean does that mean he was the first to be born the first to live first to die first to raise from the dead no 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 and no he's the first to be born first to live first to die first to be raised from the dead to never die again He once and for all defeated death. He conquered death. That's why he's the firstborn from the dead. Because he conquered it forever. Once for all sin. One sacrifice. Paid it all. That he might take first place. He's the firstborn so he deserves first place. In every area of your life. That's why we need to pay attention to Jesus. Number five. Fifth reason. You and I need to pay it. Paying attention is essential. Here's number five. Number five is this. Jesus is the fullness of God. Well, this is in verse 19. Listen to how Paul says this. For in him, again, in Jesus, all, somebody say all, the fullness, somebody say fullness. All the fullness. (laughs) Wow. All the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. See, these false teachers are saying Jesus is not God. He may be one of the highest angels. He's one step toward God, but he's not God. Paul says, hey, he's all the fullness of God is, dwells in him. Christopher Columbus, when he reached the New World in 1492, he named the inhabitants Indians. Why did he call them Indians? Well, he thought that he had landed in what was referred to in those days as the Indies, China, Japan, and India. That's where he thought he landed. 
And so he called them Indians. He, he, he viewed the world as, as smaller than it, than it really was. He was nowhere close to South or East Asia. And I think oftentimes we do the same thing with Jesus. We make him so small. We have this very small view of him. It's like there's these vast tracts of Christ in the Scripture that have yet to be explored. It's, it's like we, we've, we, we've dubbed down Jesus into this junior varsity, uh, decaffeinated, one-dimensional, uh, our understanding of, of Jesus, of our own making, thinking we have the real Jesus. It's like we're snorkeling in the in the in the shadow in the, in the in the shallows thinking we've hit bottom of the Pacific. We've not even scratched the surface that all the fullness of God in him was pleased to dwell. You see Jesus is fully God and fully man all at the same time. And we see this all through the Scripture. If you read the Gospels, we see this over and over again. Like Jesus asleep in Simon Peter's boat, right? <laughs> He's sleeping. Well, why is he sleeping? Why do you sleep? Why do you sleep? Because you're what? Because you're tired. That's why Jesus is sleeping. He's tired. That shows his humanity, right? But the next moment, he stands up. He looks at this hurricane these wind and waves, and he says, quiet, be still. There's his deity. Just read the, you see it all over the place. Here's Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. He's weeping with the family. Why? That's his humanity. But then the next moment, he says, hey, Lazarus, come out. There's his deity. You see it in him, this one person. Jesus, fully man, fully God, all at the same time. J.B. Phillips said it like this. The Lord Jesus is God in focus. I like that. He is God in focus. He is the fullness of God. John writes in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, meaning God. So John recognizes Jesus is God. That which was from the beginning. God, and then he says this, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, our, which we have looked upon, and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You see, in Jesus, we finally have it. We finally have it. We finally have God in all of His holiness, in all of His justice, in all of His power, and his wisdom, and his love. But also, we have one we can see, and we can touch, and we can hear, and we can talk to, and we can have a relationship with. See, Jesus is God's perfect man, as one has said, and man's perfect God. Being man's perfect God, Jesus is able to save. 
And being God's perfect man, he's willing to say. Jesus makes God known. In him, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Number six, last one. The reason why paying attention to Jesus is essential. Number six, Jesus is the reconciler of all. He is the reconciler of all. In response to Eminem's recent attempt to be more gender inclusive, they've got their cartoon M&Ms, they've changed them to be more inclusive of all the genders out there today. In response to that, the Babylon Bee, which is your trusted source for news satire, they, they released an article, and it, this is satirical news, okay? They released an article entitled, M&Ms Identify as Skittles. Everybody's identifying as something they're not, right? It just seems to be more and more. People want to identify as something or someone they're not. And as the church, that bothers us. And it should bother us because God is the one who decides, not us, right? But I also think this is a great opportunity for us to have some inner reflection. Because I'm telling you, I've, I've been in the local church worshiping for, I don't know, 20, 25 years. I don't, I don't know, grew up in church. I mean, as an adult, 25, 30 years. And I'm convinced that this identifying as something we're not, this is a game the church has been playing a long time longer than the world's been playing. You need to know that. Our churches are full of people who identify as Christians. But there's a problem. (laughs) You don't have Christ. And you can't be a Christian if you don't have Christ. So we can shake our fist at people who identify as that or identify as this. But church, I wonder how many of us or identifying as a Christian when we don't have Christ. You can identify as a millionaire all you want to, but if you don't have a million dollars, you're not a millionaire. You're just not. And you can identify as a Christian all you'd like, but if you don't have Christ, you are not a Christian. And verse 20 is clear. It is crystal clear. And from the world's perspective, it doesn't make any sense. Bloodshed does not make peace. Bloodshed equals war. It doesn't equal peace. Yet the gospel says that God is making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. How is that? That doesn't make any sense. Bloodshed is always associated with war. It's never associated with peace. Yet this is the gospel. And Jesus laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. Nobody coerced him. Nobody forced him. He laid his life down for you and for me. His blood was shed so you and I could have life. He is making peace by the blood of his cross. 
Not war, but peace. That you can have peace with God and the peace of God in this person named Christ. In fact, it says that through him to reconcile to himself. He is reconciling people to himself through his cross and through his blood shed there. So you have to ask yourself. I mean, I imagine. I've I've never been financially as an adult. It's been a long time. Since I've been debt free financially, completely, utterly debt free, right? I'm sure that's an incredible feeling to have. This is what the cross does. Spiritually, it completely and utterly sets us free from the debt of sin and guilt and shame and comes with it peace and joy and comfort and hope. And that only comes through Christ. God is the only one who can save you, only God can save. But he can only save through the blood of Jesus' cross. God cannot save you any other way. He cannot do it. The only way his wrath is satisfied is through the shed blood of Jesus. That Jesus laid down his life to satisfy God's wrath and anger at your your sin and my sin. Jesus' blood is in between you and God. And he has satisfied that wrath. and, And he has brought you back to God. He has reconciled you to God in Christ. So I I tell you, paying attention to Jesus is essential because he is the reconciler of all. And not only people, but his whole creation has to be reconciled. And he does it through the blood of his cross. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, are you identifying as a Christian or are you a Christian? (laughs) Do you have Christ or you don't? That, that's, I can't answer that for you. That's a question you have to answer. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. That has, that's none of my business. But I pray the Holy Spirit will make that real to you today. You, you, you can't, you can't, it's impossible for Jesus to be first place in your life until you first place your faith in Him alone. And when you place your faith in Him alone, then He can become first place in every area of your life. And that's an ongoing life growing in your faith relationship with him so for all the believers in the room what areas of your life is Jesus not in first place for all those worshiping online what areas of your life is Jesus not in first place I pray the Holy Spirit will reveal those to you and you'll confess those today you need to do that today for anybody else who says man I don't know Christ I've been identifying as a Christian, but I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Well, hey, we can take care of that right now. I want to ask you to stand with me all over.